Oregon hopes to end a home winning streak. BYU provides Texas with a landmine game. And we've got the cocktail party, as usual, is ready to be lit this season. Plus, what on earth has the University of Michigan been doing in the latest cheating scandal in college football? We talk all of that and so much more right here on the Week 9 preview of The Three Technique. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Gosh, I just vibe every time that intro plays. Uh, welcome in, everybody, to the Week 9 Preview. We're glad to have you along with Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, guys, a lot to get to tonight is uh, we have the last week of the season before the college football playoff rankings are officially released. Uh, a lot of statement games to be made, as I mentioned. A lot of maybe landmine games to be avoided as well. We've got Group of Five conference title game implications all over the place. This is a fantastic week of football in the G5. Uh, but first and foremost, we have to talk about maybe the largest cheating scandal in the history of college sports that's non-financial like related, right? Non-death penalty to SMU for paying players related. Guys, just off the top here, we've heard nothing uh, other than Connor Stallion's name uh, over at Michigan for the past two or three days. Garrett, kind of make sense of this. I mean, you're the Michigan defender on, on this. Uh, what what exactly are we looking at here in terms of sign-stealing, cheating, et cetera? Well, look, I mean, at this point, I think pretty much everyone's seen what's out on Twitter. Um, and, you know, we can talk about laminated play sheets, and we can talk about how he's buying tickets and message board posters from Tennessee and all of that, right? And I want to be extremely clear. Obviously, if all this is true and there's no reason to think that it isn't, then this is a really bad look for the University of Michigan. It's a, a tough scene, um, and there's not really a whole lot of defending it. Um, and, and the hard thing for me is when I look at this, I really don't think that they needed to do this. Uh, I mean, it, when you look at it, and this is kind of in my approach to it, is when – you try to really just break down what's happened in these games. Did they really need it to go and play the majority of the Big Ten? Did they need to know signs to make sure that they could, you know, stroll past Indiana? Probably not, right? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It it it, it doesn't seem like they need that. And then, you know, we talk about, like, the big games, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, teams like that. You know, maybe you could argue that there were times that that sways the advantage, but we don't really know by how much because Michigan dominated those games, right? There were just so many dominant performances that maybe it's close and they barely squeak it out. Maybe they're still the better team, right? Like which, and I brought this up earlier, which, you know, hand gesture says don't tack, you know, don't tackle Donovan Edwards because, you know, we don't want to for 75 yards, right? That, that doesn't probably, that's probably not a defensive signal that they were throwing out there that they had on a laminated sheet of paper, but uh, you know, we can't say for sure that they earned it because this is what happened. They cheated. And, and so 
who's culpable, who's responsible, who knew what. There's still going to be lots of details, obviously, coming out. Um, but this is not a good look for Michigan. And, and, you know, quite frankly, I don't see how this helped them because they didn't win a championship the last couple of years, right? For all the scouting you did of Big Ten opponents, couldn't have sent a couple extra guys to Georgia? Couldn't have sent a guy to, you know, TCU to make sure that you could beat them? Like, what What was it about those two matchups that they didn't, you know, scout enough or whatever? I, I just... I don't get the point of it, and the problem is that this is a really good football team with a lot of really talented players, but now it's it's tainted and it's marred, and we can't know, you know, what they deserve versus what was maybe you know taken because of this, you know, this cheating, right? Well, and Trey, I'll come to you in a second. I, I don't want to bury the lead. Assumptions kill a cat. Uh, Michigan is being accused, and in, in all likelihood, is about to be judged guilty of sign stealing. Uh, something, something similar to what we've seen from, you know, the Houston Astros, the New York Yankees, maybe even the Los Angeles Dodgers a couple of years ago, uh, Connor Stallions and an assistant on the Michigan football team for the past, maybe three years has been buying tickets to future opponents games going in his own name with his own credit card, going to those games, sitting on the opposing sideline and then filming with his iPhone the sidelines in order to capture the hand signals coming in from the opposing coaches. They then in film study would decipher those and create laminated play sheets where they have staffers on their sideline in a game. If they're playing Indiana, for instance, where when they see hand signals go up from the Indiana coaches, they have a play sheet that essentially is a guide. This hand signal typically meant this. They can then, you know, relay that call into their offense, to their defense, et cetera. So with all of that, Trey, this is a really weird, a really weird scandal. It's another item to hit Michigan. It feels like the NCAA has kind of thrown petty charges at Michigan and Jim Harbaugh specifically for the last several years. But this is this is legitimate, and this is something that has the potential to be rather game-breaking, not because other teams aren't necessarily doing it, but because there's no precedent here, and it's something that we've, it's a scale that we've never seen before. Right, and if you're just wondering what the big deal is about stealing signs, maybe you are a fan of the Houston Astros, and you're wondering, what's the big deal about stealing signs? Sorry, I got to get my shots in. Great game <laughs> a couple nights ago. But all that aside, Stealing signs in game is part of football from the lowest levels all the way up to the NFL. Like you go to any middle school game on a Tuesday or Thursday night, you go to any high school game on a Friday night, there's somebody trying to figure out the other sideline signals. That's happening at every stadium, every Saturday and every Sunday in the NFL as well. It's happening. But the big difference here, like you guys have said, you are not allowed. It is in the bylaws since I think 1994, you're not allowed to go if you are on staff of a football program in the NCAA, you are not allowed to go to a future opponent's uh, games or a possible future opponent's games if you are on staff in that program. So it's a big no-no. It's been, you know, there, there's a whole history to it. I think Andy Staples did a great job of breaking it down on his show with, um, I believe it was it was either Pete Thamel or uh, the, Ralph Russo. It was Ralph Russo with the AP they did a fantastic job breaking down kind of the history of why this is not illegal. So I won't hash that out here, but listen to that if you want the full history. 
But bottom line is it's it's fully frowned upon. It's fully against the rules to do that outside of the game in question on Saturday. You're going to watch film and you're going to see if you can pick something up. But there's also a reason the New England Patriots got in trouble for pointing cameras at their opponent's sidelines in the NFL a few years ago. It's not it's not only against the rules, it's just really frowned upon in coaching circles and you know the gentlemanly agreements that that coaching circle is really founded upon. So Michigan is going to get a lot of heat for this, probably deservedly so. Yep. Is it the worst thing in the world? Of course not. Like they're not, you know, obviously college football coaches have been accused of things that have hurt people much more deeply than stealing their signs. But from a competitive nature standpoint, it is a really big deal. And I think Michigan's going to get more than just a slap on the wrist of this. And on the Jim Harbaugh thing, you know, Michigan is going to say all the right things. Michigan is going to point to Connor Stallions and say, this was a one-man operation. They're, of course, going to circle the wagons and say, listen, this is a one-man thing. The rest of the program had nothing to do with it. But, man, a couple years ago, the NCAA really made it clear that when something like this happens in your program, the head coach is responsible. They were tired of having to deal with all the lawsuits. They were tired of having to deal with all the he said, he said, she said about, you know, if a head coach really knew, they said, if something like this happens, the head coach is responsible and that's in the bylaws now. So Jim Harbaugh, I, I really don't see how he wiggles his way out of this unless some new evidence comes out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I can tell you how he's going to wiggle his way out of this. He's going to leave Michigan. This yeah. is the death nail for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Um, Harbaugh is going to get to walk away from this, I think, scot-free. I don't think there are going to be any sort of ramifications in this season. That would seem very unprecedented. I think what it probably is going to happen is there's going to be a more full investigation uh, after the season that will wrap up. Whatever Michigan has happen, it'll happen. And maybe if they win a championship, there's a, mass, uh, a massive asterisk by it. But Jim Harbaugh is going to walk away from this and go to the NFL and wash his hands clean of the matter. And what he's going to do is he's going to leave Michigan in a pit where who knows what the NCAA does, right? They've been extremely weak in their penalties uh, over the last several years. They've been extremely inconsistent with how they handle punishment. So there's no telling if Michigan will actually be impacted by this on a long-term scale or not, but it's sure not going to affect Jim Harbaugh. He's going to leave the Michigan Wolverines. He's not going to have to pay any sort of penalty from this, I don't think, unless there's a fine. And it's going to be one of the biggest farces in college football. And for me, uh, this this completely ruins Jim Harbaugh's legacy to me in college football. Because, listen, we're going to debate for weeks, if not months, of if Jim Harbaugh knew anything about this. There's an independent third-party agency that today released at least an initial finding that said basically we, we can't link Jim Harbaugh explicitly to know anything, knowing anything about this. If you go over to Reddit, there's plenty of footage, plenty of videos of stallions standing right next to Harbaugh on the sidelines in a game 
with what appears to be that laminated play sheet. So just because Harbaugh didn't send an email, didn't send a text, didn't pull a, um, a, you know, a Michigan state and, you know, have leave all of these paper trails to me, doesn't mean that he knew nothing about it. Trey, like you said, historically, the NCAA has laid down the hammer and said, if you're the head coach, you are going to be culpable. The problem is there's nothing in their power. If he just up and leaves for the NFL, like we think he's about to do, uh, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's a, it's an absolute shame. It's going to be another black mark on college football history it's going to be a black mark on the michigan football program yeah like you said they didn't need to do this right this is completely unnecessary to have done they're certainly not the only program doing the sign stealing i have no doubt about that uh, there was a tweet that i saw going viral today that was like a, a lot of programs are nervously chuckling uh, at this news coming out that's not the issue it's that they got caught and how brazen they were. Like I said, Stallions was buying these tickets in his own credit card name, not even trying to hide it. Um, and so to me, the stupidity is is just what uh, is is so brazen here. Trey, you said they th this is in the NCAA bylaws. This is certainly illegal. They really did two illegal things. One, having a staffer go to a future opponent's game multiple times, that's explicitly prohibited. And then the videotaping recording of an opposing team and their signals is also illegal. So uh, I'm very curious to see what the NCAA does here, but I think Michigan is going to get left holding whatever bag it is. And Harbaugh is going to ride off into the NFL sunset. And to me, that doesn't sit right. Well, and just to be clear, like uh, nothing I was saying on the front end was trying to justify any of it. Obviously this is horrible, but I think the, people I feel the worst for right now are just the players that are caught up in this, right? Both, both sides of the football, right? Both on the Michigan side and on the other side of whoever was playing them is that there's something about that competition that when you're out there, you want to know that you're going up against that guy's best and that there's nothing that's, you know, it, prohibiting you from just facing the guy at his best and that there's no, you know, cheating or, you know, this jumping in or that jumping in. And, you know, I think the, the problem for me is now, if you're a Michigan guy, if you're a Michigan player and you didn't know you were just taking directions from the sidelines, yeah, you thought your coaches were putting you in a good position to win and you were just going out there competing, giving it everything you had. And if you're on the other team, now you're going to say, well, you know, now I was cheated of knowing if I was really like that good or if, you know, maybe I held with them or maybe if I'd done this, things could have gone differently. But now nobody can know. And so really in this situation, it's the players that are getting hurt the most because the adults want to find the competitive edge. Harbaugh wants to find a way to boost himself. You know, this this staffer wants to find a way to go and make his name and make a bunch of money, whatever it is. It's just the adults ruining things for the kids once again. Yeah, Totally, totally agree. Uh, if you're wondering where the previews are, that's right now. We're getting to them. Uh, Want to let you know before we jump into the previews, today's episode, all of our episodes brought to you by our partners at the Transfer Portal CFB and by our friends over at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, they just released their newest 19-part bomber collection. I believe it's the Southern Collection. Guys, there are a number of just juicy-looking bomber jackets. They've obviously got a Texas A&M one that we're very partial to. A lot of our audience roots for, for Southern schools, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, uh, among the, the, the greatness that's in those bomber jackets. So head on over. 3Tech Pod gets you 15% off uh, your code, um, and uh, we'd love for you to use that. Supports us, supports the show. 
Go get some of the best gear on the market and uh, let us know how you're loving it. Uh, guys, let's jump into our big three. And listen, the Pac-12 has been one of the biggest features on this show uh, as the Conference of Champions in their swan song season has finally given us a lot to talk about when it comes to playoff notions. Without a doubt, our biggest game of the week, our featured game of the week, number 13, Utah hosting number eight, Oregon. The Oregon Ducks are seven-point favorites. This is the 2.30 p.m. game on Fox. And uh, Trey, this is a, a fantastic matchup from a uniform perspective from a passion and fan base perspective also when you look at a top offense in the country taking on an elite defense at home the home team has won the last four games in this matchup where are you leaning as far as uh paying attention to various position groups various matchups in this game yeah i mean it's a true elite offense versus elite defense. Oregon's defense is nothing to sneeze at, but, and Utah's figured out a lot on offense as well lately, but guys, this is a true, you know, unstoppable force versus unmovable object situation. Utah's defense has not allowed 20 points at home yet. And their 78 yards per game given up on the ground is, you know, one of the top numbers in the country. So Oregon's going to have to find a way to move the ball through the air against a pretty good secondary as well. And like I said, Utah has really found something on offense this last few weeks. Uh, Sione Vaki, the two-way star that has really been a highlight of their offensive game plan the last couple of weeks is a big reason they beat USC last week. It's going to be a really interesting game. I think Oregon, you know, it's also, I think, a playoff elimination game for sure. The loser of this game is done yep. out of playoff contention for this year and uh, can be, start building for the 12-team playoff next year, but um, tons and tons are at stake in Salt Lake City this weekend. Garrett, I'm I'm really curious to see how the running games for both of these teams operate. Oregon, as, as we previewed a couple of weeks in a row now, Oregon's offense, yes, gets a lot of flash from Bo Nix throwing the football, but, but Bucky Irvin on the ground has been borderline unstoppable. He even got his against Washington. Uh, and the Huskies were able to overcome that, still win that football game. But Utah does primarily most of their damage on the ground as well, especially without Cam Rising throwing the ball through the air. Cam is done for the year, won't even get to take a snap. Uh, talk to me a little bit about these running games and, and how you see that matchup playing out on Saturday. Well, it, it's crazy because, you know, we talk about a Pac-12 matchup and we expect to talk about, you know, you know, gunslinging and throwing the ball over the yard. But you're right. These are two of the best running offenses probably in the country, um, just with what they're able to do. Bucky Irving, Jordan James over there uh, for Oregon. And then, of course, Sione Vaki, Jaquina Jackson running it for Utah. But the big factor for me here is also what they get out of quarterback run. Bo Nix doesn't run as much as you might expect him to, but he's effective when he does. Yep. I mean, Bryson Barnes, man. What a game from him last week against USC. We talked about it on the on the recap pod, but a couple of huge pickups on the ground to extend their drive and clearly not afraid of contact. He lowered the boom on that USC safety on that second to last big run that he had. When you look at both of these teams, they're going to have to throw the football. This is just a, a fact of the matter. They're going to have to throw the football. They're going to have to be effective through the air. But these two run games are going to get theirs. It is going to make this, I think, a relatively close, low-scoring game 
um, where, you know, both teams are kind of keeping their possessions, having to make the most of it. And it's just going to be down to whatever team executes the best uh, in terms of getting into the red zone and then punching that in for six, not three. I, I like that a lot. You're you're singing my song and elite defense at home. Listen, I, I don't think that that streak of the home team winning uh, four straight games is necessarily going to continue. I think Oregon is equipped to beat an elite defense, uh, whether it's on the ground or through the air. But the low scoring element absolutely rings true for me. Uh, One last thing before we get to our picks. Did you guys see that Alex Grinch was saying there was no possible way they could have seen uh, Sione Vaki running the wheel route so effectively it wasn't on film? Yeah, and so we just weren't expecting it. And then all of the internet went and found multiple plays when he ran that against Cal. <laughs> I mean, I, I I tweeted out Alex Grinch watching film with a picture picture of Jamarcus Russell, uh, because that guy just makes himself a clown each and well, every week. I don't even care if you've seen it on film. You have an athletic running back; he might run a wheel route. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> have you never seen Utah run a wheel route before? Like seriously. Just, just Have you ever seen the, any team run a wheel route? Yeah, just because the, the jersey number changes that that is that's that was the funniest excuse I heard. Guys, safeties aren't eligible receivers, so let's cut him a little bit of slack. Here. <laughs> he's asking, he's asking for the flag on every single play. Yeah, hey, Sione Vaki, two week, uh, two way player has an interception, has a couple of sacks this season. Hard hitting safety, but they've found his versatility in the running game as well. Over two hundred yards on the ground, a couple scores. Uh, watch out for Vaki this week. Um, guys, I'll, I'll lead us off with the picks. Um, this this falls right into my bread and butter, my personal grading rubric when I pick games, and it's elite defenses at home. Um, I think Oregon does win this football game. I think they're the better team. I I could for you know, I, I could see Utah pulling off something similar to, to what they did last week against USC, but Oregon takes care of the football better than USC does. And without those turnovers, I don't think that Utah is ultimately able to win the game, but low scoring contest at home. They're going to keep Oregon on their heels. I think the majority of this contest, I'll take two of the three outcomes and go with the Utes plus the points here. I am with you on the lower scoring. I think this is a game somewhere in the 27-17 range. What concerns me about Utah, look, their defense plays at another level at home. I know that, but Bo Nix is still the guy that we thought was a true Heisman contender earlier this year before the Washington game. This is still a team on the mission that feels like they can make the college football playoff and avenge that Washington loss. So I think they're going to come into Salt Lake City ready to take care of some business. And Utah, you know, that was a big emotional win for them last week. I think it's going to be a little bit of a, it's hard to get that up two weeks in a row. And now, you know, to Grinch's credit, Vaki is on film, I guess. So Oregon can be ready for a wheel route here and there. Um, I think it's a close game. I think Oregon pulls away late 27, 17 range for me. I think I'll take Oregon to cover. Yeah, Trey, I think you're pretty spot on with that. I'm also picking Oregon minus the seven. Uh, I think that this could be a really close game, but my big thing here is I need to see Bryson Barnes do it one more time before I can believe that this is a consistent output. I need to see him do one more big game, and this time maybe against a good defense. This is a really good defense that Oregon trots out there. Look, they're both going to want to run the football. They're both going to want to establish the run on the ground. They're both going to get theirs. Who's going to pass more effectively? I believe in Bo Nix not making mistakes. I believe in Troy Franklin being able to make plays downfield. I don't think that Utah has that as consistently 
And so I think that this turns into more more scoring uh, for Oregon, a, a few more touchdowns than field goals. Uh, and I'm going to pick Oregon minus seven here. Leaving me alone on the bleeding edge out here with Utah plus the points. It uh, hurts mentioned- to pick against my youths, man. It hurts. I'm sure it does. Uh, you mentioned Troy Franklin, sixth in the country in total receiving yards. He has been Mr. Reliable uh, for Bonex and the Oregon Ducks. Let us know in the comments uh, on Twitter who you're picking in this game. It's a very tasty line, plus seven uh, or minus seven, I guess, if you're going the Ducks. Very, very difficult line to pick. Vegas knows what they're doing, and uh, our team is obviously split on that. Uh, guys, let's go to Austin. Number seven, Texas, hosting BYU, 2.30 p.m. on ABC. The Longhorns are 17.5-point favorites as of recording this. Now, if you're like Trey, who in our group text went, what? Texas and BYU made the cut? Allow me to at least explain the case for why this is one of those games that you should have your eyes on. Texas is without Quinn Ewers at the quarterback position, right? We know that. A couple weeks out with a grade two AC joint sprain in his throwing shoulder. Malik Murphy is first team all Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition, right? I mean, the guy has got the body to go out and, and amaze, you know, Twitter. But does he have the goods to win a football game at home? I believe he does, but that's a big number. And BYU is Trey, as you've called them, they're a wild card, man. They don't travel all that well. They're not that consistent. But when you look at their individual player position groups, they've got talent. This is not an untalented team. This is a physical team. It's an older team and an experienced team. And I wonder if Steve Sarkeesian can get the guys up ready to play this. They fell asleep at the wheel a little bit against Houston last week on the road The slow start almost cost them. Cougars nearly came back and tied that game up late. I'm concerned about the same thing coming home. Texas is behind the eight ball. They have to win every single game coming into Arlington, and then they have to beat Oklahoma just to get into the college football playoff, a place that everyone around the country has been uh, telling them, you're going to make it this year. You deserve that spot. That pressure starts to build, and now you go down your starting quarterback. The magnifying glass gets even more amplified. I think Texas is going to have to run this football a whole lot more uh, in this game than they are against you know another opponent. That number just seems really, really big to me. But, Trey, I, I want to give you kind of the other side of this. Uh, are, are you confident in the Longhorns? What What's your angle coming into this game? Look, BYU coming into the season was one of my quiet favorite teams to watch this year because of how much of a wild card they were. I thought they could maybe steal a game like this one. Um, I don't know. I still don't know that they are going to fully steal that. Even going up against a backup quarterback, even, you know, coming into Austin and kind of a um, letdown spot here after an emotional win last week against Houston. I... (sighs) I just don't trust BYU's defense enough to really feel like they have a chance to win this game. Their rushing defense is putrid, guys. Like, if you look at the game logs of their rushing defense against Power 5 competition, gave up 177 yards at Arkansas, 221 to Kansas, 242 to Cincinnati, 137 at TCU. That's not bad. 153 to to a Tech team that really doesn't want to run the football. Um, So... 
it's not pretty when teams commit to the run against this BYU Cougar team. And I think the story of this game is going to be the Texas running backs. I think they're going to run. It's going to look a lot similar to the Kansas game a few weeks ago. And that's why I'm a little nervous to uh, pick the Cougars here. That number does seem just a little bit too high for Malik Murphy's first start. We don't know what he is yet. And that's what I think gives you hope as a BYU fan. I think that's what makes you really nervous as a Texas fan. He's looked great at practice. He's looked great in the spring game. You mentioned he's like swimsuit model edition, you know, (laughs) first overall draft pick, right? But we haven't seen it in a game when the pressure's on and he has to carry his team and keep their playoff hopes alive. So it's not the best defense that he's going up against. I think it's a good game for him to kind of get his feet wet, but I'm a little nervous to let him lay 17 and a half. Garrett, you look at the Jimmys and the Joes here, and and we've highlighted Malik Murphy, obviously, for Texas. But on the BYU defense, there haven't been a lot of stallions this year, right? But in two cases, there are guys that I think the Texas coaching staff has to be really concerned about. That's Tyler Beatty, the defensive end, and Jacob Robinson, who has been picking balls off left and right. Yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, if maybe if they had a couple stallions on the defense, they could know what plays the opponents were running. But neither here nor there. Um, it, it's it's not been the best year for BYU. And Trey, you're just talking about it with the with the run game for Texas. BYU is giving up 150 on the ground. So they're gonna have to make up something. And and I don't think that at this point in the season it's gonna be in your run defense. I think they're gonna have to do something in their pass defense. And I mean, you're right, it's Malik Murphy, it's his first start. I think there is a difference between getting thrown into the game and then all of a sudden, you know, oh my gosh, I don't know what the situation is. I wasn't prepping to be the starter. You know, what plays can we run? Talking about it, scrambling a little bit versus having a whole week to say, okay, what do you feel comfortable with? What plays do you like? What plays do you feel like are are the best suited for you and your skill set? And so I think that he's going to come out here and have a lot better of a game. But if a guy like Tyler Beatty can get in the backfield if, if he can, you know, maybe affect it a little bit, not even get the sack, just get some, some hurries. Right. And, and maybe just put some quarterback pressures on him and maybe forces a bad throw, maybe forces some mistakes early. Um, then this could be the formula for BYU actually pulling this one off. I, I'm not necessarily going to say that I think that that happens, um, but that is the formula for BYU. The, their formula is pressuring Malik Murphy, getting in his face, trying to pressure him, everything they talked about in practice, we just throw that out because none of that's working anymore. And then we got to kind of think about, okay, well, are we just going to be one-dimensional and run the football so that they can focus on that? Or or what plays do we run as an offense that will keep things rolling for the Longhorns? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move into our picks. No secret who I'm rolling with here. If you watch the ledger, I'm laying nuggies on the BYU cover here. I'm going to take the Cougars plus the points. I just don't know that Texas wins by that many points. It seems a little high to me, so I'm going to go with the road team. Yeah, it seems a little high to me too. Again, first start for the quarterback. We don't know what we're going to get. I'm going to take um, BYU to keep it a little bit closer, 17 and a half. 
I think that we do know what we can get. I think what we're going to get is a much improved Malik Murphy and a strong run game from Texas. They they don't have to win in the air in this game. And we were just talking about it and making the case for BYU. We're going to take that out of the equation if we're Texas, right? We're saying, no, we're not going to let our quarterback make mistakes. We're going to give him quick sit downs. We're going to give him easy completion, high percentage throws. And we're just going to let, you know, Jonathan Brooks and company, they're going to take over. They're going to run the football. And I think this is one that Texas can control, right? When Texas runs the football and has a balanced offense, they really click and things are humming. It's when you take something away that they have a problem. I don't believe that BYU's defense can take something away on the road. I'm taking Texas minus 17 and a half. I think this is a blowout. I think that they know that they need to keep winning. I think they know that if they're going to make the playoff, they got to win one against Oklahoma and Arlington, and they have to be real convincing the rest of the way. And so I think that they're on. I think that they're sharp. And I don't think that there's going to be that much of a drop off with Malik Murphy this week. Uh, one interesting note here. BYU is one of three teams that has a winning record over Texas throughout the life of college football. Notre Dame and Vanderbilt are the other two, which uh, and the games haven't been particularly close most of the time that these two have gotten together. It's very, very true. So probably a different story in Austin this week, but at least something worth knowing you can. Uh, amaze your friends at the water cooler later this week. I don't know if the Saints are off, but if Taysom Hill finds his way into that stadium, you know every Texas fan is going to just crap their pants on the spot. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go to the cocktail party. Guys, the number one team in the country is still the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, despite a lot of him and Han, and even on this show, we decided last week, hey, Michigan's probably the best best team in the country, hands down. But Georgia's 14.5-point favorites on the road uh, in Jacksonville against Florida, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. This is the 2.30 game on CBS. Guys, Georgia's slow starts have really given us concern, cause for pause over the last couple of weeks. Garrett, if Georgia gets off to a slow start against Florida, is that something that they're going to be able to come back from, or is that really when you start sounding the alarm bells, especially in a rivalry game? I think you kind of have to sound the alarms if they do get off to a slow start, primarily just because I think this Florida team, though they're not necessarily explosive, I think they're efficient. I think this is just a really good, efficient Florida offense. They can run the football. We've seen that, but Graham Mertz has been really accurate with the football, not making too many mistakes. Um, and, and, the big thing there is if they can be efficient with the football, I don't know who Georgia looks at uh, on offense to say, you're going to bring us back, right? They have a strong run game for Georgia. They're going to be able to run the football, but that's not going to catch you up if you start slow, right? If you get in the hole 10 nothing to Florida all of a sudden, being able to just run the football ain't going to be what gets it done. Um, and without Brock Bowers as your you know stud tight end, your obvious playmaker, who do they turn to? You know That's going to be my big question looking at that is who do you turn to to catch you up to, you know, start getting a drive going, you know, when stuff's, you know, when, when Florida's got your number, right. I don't know that they will obviously, but you know, if Florida gets ahead like that, I don't know that Georgia can start the catch up. Um, not now Georgia still brings back an awesome defense. So it's, you know, it, it's still to be seen if Florida is going to have any success offensively, but I think that this is a game that Georgia can't mess around in uh, because getting down, I think spells doom for their abilities to catch up. Need to hit on mute. Uh, I, I do wonder with Brock Bowers out and and likely done for the season now with the surgery that he had after last week's game, 
I'm really concerned where Carson Beck goes uh, when he needs his security blanket, when he has pressure in his face. Trey, for you, look, Graham Mertz has been one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the country. The last time we saw Georgia play a team that goes on the ground as much as what the Florida Gators want to do was Kentucky. That was at home, but they absolutely destroyed the Wildcats' uh, rushing attack. Kentucky didn't even rush for 100 yards in that game. Yeah, and outside of, I think we it's fair to call the Auburn game, you know, uh, a oopsie game, right? <laughs> outside of that Auburn game where they gave up 219 yards, they've only given up more than 101 other time, and it was with their backups against UT Martin week one. They have smothered opponents on the ground outside of that Auburn game. And so it's going to be on Graham Mertz when we've seen Florida be the most successful this year. I know Graham Mertz has been accurate. A lot of it's been really close to the line of scrimmage. They have not been an explosive passing offense despite his accuracy. So this one's going to be on the arm of Graham Mertz. And when we've seen Florida be the most successful this year, it's been when they can run the football and rely on their pass rush when they have a lead, right? When you, you think about the Tennessee game, you think about some of their other brighter moments this year when they've gotten down and it's had to be an explosive pass game that gets them back into it. We see things like the Kentucky game. We see things like the Utah game, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my concern for Florida. Yes. Graham Mertz has been very accurate, but man, when you get down, if Georgia punches you in the mouth, three or four yard out routes that he hits accurately, aren't just going to get you back in the game. You're not going to nickel and dime your way down the field against this Georgia defense. And that's, what's concerning me. The guy that I'm watching in this game is is Ricky Persall, right? The Arizona State transfer um, in his second year with the team has has been really explosive uh, as far as that goes. But you're right; they've got to establish a downfield passing attack early. Persall averages 14 yards a catch. You'd like that to be a little bit bigger, I think, in a game where you're going to need chunk plays. You're going to need to keep. Georgia off balance because the second they can bring that extra safety into the box, I think you're in a, a world of hurt. Now, this is a rivalry game. I I, I want to say that you ignore the records, you you ignore the stats. Uh, Florida has been a lot better this season than what we were giving them credit for in the preseason, even as we've gone on week to week. Now, there's a lot of articles being written about, hey, is, is Billy Napier saving his job? I, listen, I. I was always in the camp that you, you probably weren't going to fire him this year anyway. He might be a dead man walking in the next season, but there's no doubt that this team has kind of rallied around each other. They found a way to get a win over South Carolina. you got to get them kudos for that. And, and because this Florida team seems to be at least improving, taking steps forward one week at a time, they're not nearly as good as Georgia. But in a rivalry game, when emotions get high, Florida takes care of the football this season, unlike they did under Anthony Richardson. I think Florida can keep it close enough to cover this number. 14 and a half in a rivalry game is a massive spread. I'm going to go with the Florida Gators here to keep that. Uh, give me the candy. Man, I, I went back and forth on this one when I was thinking about it. I just think Georgia's too good. I know Brock Bowers is going down. I know that that's going to be a huge hole in their passing offense, but I think that they're just going to kind of slow cook this one. It's going to be some crockpotted gator in Jacksonville on Saturday. 
I, Georgia's too good, man. We've been down on them. We've been doubting them. And then they come out and just completely blow out Kentucky. Never in doubt against, I know it's Vanderbilt, but they're never in doubt against Vanderbilt. I think they're going to find a way to really, you know, blow it out of the water and impress people this week. So I'm taking Georgia minus 14 and a half. Yeah. When it comes to like playoff conversation and how does Georgia compete with the top of the top of the college football world, then yeah, we need to have conversations about Brock Bowers not being explosive and everything else. But look with this one, I think it's pretty easy to just hand the football off and do what you need to do on the ground. If you're Georgia, I'm taking Georgia minus 14 and a half. I think they jump out to a lead and they don't turn around. I think they just keep handing the ball off. I don't think Florida is explosive enough to catch up. I don't think that they have anything really that they could do to, you know, say, Hey, like we're, we're just this potent on our passing offense. You know, like we've been saying, it's, it's a short passing game. They have some big play possibilities, but it's just not dynamic enough to compete with Georgia and what they're going to be able to do on defense. So I'm taking the dogs minus the 14 and a half and, and another big win for Georgia. You're curious what uh, Florida's rushing defense looks like they're 43rd in the country they give up uh, just over 124 yards per game that's an average of 4.3 yards a carry they've also given up eight touchdowns so you allow uh, a team in the red zone they're going to hand the football off there's a chance that they're going to get into the end zone florida is going to have to rise to the occasion in this one if they want to keep it close uh, so those are our top three games. Uh, you may have a different top three. And if you do, please let us know. At 3TechPod on Instagram, on Twitter, DM us, write in. Let us know which three games you're going to be watching. Uh, and with that, let's get to the best of the rest. The storylines in week nine. Let's start with a Tuesday game in Conference USA that went final already. A 42-29 win for Liberty over Western Kentucky. Uh, guys, Liberty's already secured a Conference USA championship berth. That's not really all that surprising, but it is really looking like this is going to be a 12-0 football team uh, with a Conference USA title maybe in tow. You have to imagine they're probably the favorites to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, I, I think if they go 12-0, it's going to be really hard to leave them out. Um, the, the reigning schedule, Louisiana tech, old dominion, UMass and at UTEP. So no one that really scares you on the rest of that schedule. They're playing on Saturdays the rest of the way out too. So they get off the Tuesday night. Maybe people can, uh, you know, tune in, find it on their dial, uh, as they're flipping through the games on Saturdays, but man, Jamie Chadwell, right? Like what a coach this guy is. How has not a power five program after what he did at Coastal Carolina, after what he's showing at Liberty, a Power 5 program has to take a chance on this guy if he wants it. I know Liberty can compete with a lot of Power 5 programs salary-wise. We talked about the special offering that the Baptists probably do, but <laughs> I, I, Jamie Chadwell is one of my favorite coaches in college football, and he's shown time and time again why that is. Yeah, I think the only place where you'd say you're concerned on the on the, you know, actual New Year's Six Bowl is if you're looking at teams like Air Force and you're just thinking about strength of schedule and, you know, it's not to take anything away from what they're doing, but Conference USA is a, a tad bit behind, you know. And they didn't play a Power guys. 5 team out of conference. So, like, even right. if they, you know, would have scheduled a Virginia or, you know, a, a Michigan State, shots fired, but uh, just someone <laughs> in the lower rungs of Power 5 and beating them, that would look so much better than, you know, beating – Bowling Green and Buffalo and FIU. Right. right. So, and so I think that's that's your only real drawback for the the you know actual New Year's Six Bowl. 
birth, but it's not to take anything away from what they're doing. They're doing amazing things over there. And I think that, um, you know, you guys kind of just said it best. It's it's kind of awesome to see what Chadwell can do. And so let's just keep rocking with it. And, you know, don't let it spoil your season just because you may not be what Air Force is. That would be so fascinating to come have that come down to a technicality. Liberty has the 132nd ranked strength of schedule. That is one from the bottom. They're only over Who's New Mexico worst? State. New Mexico State, but yeah. Air Force is only 123rd, so they're just nine slots ahead of them. I wonder if if it truly comes down to that. Like, what metrics are is is that bowl going to have to look at in it's order the playoff to, committee ranking? It's 100 percent the playoff committee. Yeah, ranking. yeah. So I I wonder I wonder what that goes what all goes into that. How how are you comparing you know two very different uh, teams? Air Force is is more of the grinded out, you know, wear you down kind of victory uh, with their option attack. Liberty's running more of the, what, spread, hybrid option. Like, they've kind of got it all with Chadwell, uh, but they're the ones that are putting up a ton of points right now. Well, this feels, like, we one, saw... I guess, ahead, this feels like one where Air Force is going to make it just slightly over him on the strength of schedule and be able to do the whole, got to find a technicality and do that whole thing. That feels like this is where it's leading. Well, and it might even be, you know, you could see an 11-1 or 12-1 Tulane or SMU sneak in over sure. them as well with the strength of schedule yeah. argument. But, um, you know, Coastal, we saw this with Jamie Chadwell's old team in, in Coastal when they went through the regular season undefeated in 2020, and they got left out of the New Year's Six uh, in favor of Cincinnati with one loss, I believe. Or Cincinnati might have gone undefeated that year, but uh, either one loss or an undefeated Cincinnati just based on strength of schedule. And they played, uh, ironically, Liberty in the bowl game, and Liberty beat them and knocked them off. And got, yeah, yeah, got waxed. Um, yeah, so keep an eye on the Flames. They're playing good football right now. Um, took Liberty on the money line as part of my parlay. Was really, really happy to see them pull away late. No, no late game shenanigans, no drama, just an easy, comfortable victory. We like that. Uh, elsewhere in the Sun Belt, uh, this is also a midweek game. Trey, you and I are on the Georgia State Panthers. As, uh, they go to Georgia Southern. This is a big game in the Sun Belt with a lot on the line. Obviously a rivalry game. It's Thursday night, 6.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Georgia Southern, as of time of recording this, is two-and-a-half-point favorites, but you and I think Vegas has got the wrong team favored here. Georgia State has looked like the much better squad all season long. Yeah, Darren Granger running that offense and Marcus Carroll and, uh, you know, leading the rushing attack. It, it's been a really dynamic offensive attack from Georgia State. The defense isn't too shabby either. I think they're, you know, far and away since James Madison can't play in the uh, Sunbelt Championship game. They're far and away the favorites to make that from the East for my money right now. So, yeah, they're two and a half point dogs. I'm taking them out right to win this game, this big rivalry game against Georgia Southern. Yeah, I am too. I'm right there on the Panthers. All right, let's go to the SEC. Texas A&M, fresh off a bye. They're looking to get back on track. They host the South Carolina Gamecocks. And and guys, the, the only thing that I'm looking forward to from this game is can Texas A&M get on track? Here, the Aggies are 14-point favorites against 2-5 and five South Carolina, which you, you look at the record. We've talked about it. We were out on the Gamecocks and that hype train. Uh, from the beginning, but I don't know what the recipe for AM to win this game by multiple scores is, to be honest. A shutout? 
right? Because, I mean, it's not like this offense is going to score. I was like, you think this offense can score 14? How about it? Um, I think that's probably skewed a little bit by some of the pre-Connor Wigman injury stats. Um, I, I don't know how you get to 14 with this number. Look, at the end of the day, AM just not a good offense. And, you know, the good news is that Jimbo came out of the – by week saying that they got a lot of good fundamentals and they're executing better. So maybe that's going to be what happens. Um, you know, or maybe the word execution has just completely lost its meaning in that locker room because I, how many times does he say like that it. thing? It's like 120, 130, something like that is some crazy number that they saw on socials. Look, I, I, I'm going to pick South Carolina to cover this. I think AM still wins, but I think what we've learned about AM at this point is that nothing is going to be easy. And even if you're going to get the dub, it's not going to be comfortable at any point. You're going to watch a lot of poor offense. You're going to watch some questionable defensive calls at times. And you're, you're going to be just wondering, how is it that we only beat South Carolina by six or something like that? And so I think that's kind of what's in store for Aggie fans after this weekend. I don't think they cover the 14 points. Um, and I think this is this is probably an under for me where you're, you're tight. What is it? The under is what 53 and a half right now. So I'm taking under that. I think that's, that's an easy under for me. I mean, the thing that's giving me solace as an AM fan is South Carolina versus formidable pass rushes this year has been bad on offense. Brutal. Like Spencer Rattler. I'm shocked that he is still breathing again after some of those games that South Carolina has played this year. So the pass rush is going to feast on this really weak South Carolina offensive line. That's the, that's the, you know, you joke Garrett, a shutout, but that that's really the path to a cover for me for A&M is I'm in the cards. Don't let them in the end zone. I, I think that's real. Like we've seen that from A&M against these weaker, let, let's not pretend like, you know, Alabama and Tennessee aren't world beaters, but they're definitely a step above where uh, South Carolina and I'd put Arkansas and Auburn on that level as well. And A&M's feasted yep. against that level of competition. So I don't think it's out of the question to see them cover. I don't think it's going to be an offensive led cover by any stretch of the imagination, but I could certainly see, you know, a 27 to three type situation, um, maybe with a defensive score thrown in there to get to 27. But um, yeah, I think the defense is going to really dominate for AM. I do too. I, this is an early kick. Uh, South Carolina is coming off of a, a demoralizing loss last weekend. They couldn't get anything going offensively. Um, yeah, that offensive line is bad as A&M's offensive line has been. I don't think they, the Aggies have a bad offense. I think they have a bad offensive line and, uh, and that has just prohibited them from doing anything down the field or establishing a consistent running game. I don't know if that's going to improve this week, but for as bad as A&M is in the trenches on offense, South Carolina takes that to a power of 10. I think A&M is going to have Guys, they could have close to double-digit sacks. I mean, Spencer Rattler has been running for his dang life all season long. I don't trust the weapons that he has outside. Their secondary has not held up against any sort of downfield passing attack. I got to think, off a of bye week, A&M has, has some of the issues cleaned up. So, you know, I'm going to take A&M to cover this, uh, probably just purely out of optimism. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, but... This team, this this opponent is so far inferior to what the Aggies are going to trot out there, both from an execution and from a talent standpoint. Um, so I'll ride with the with the home team here. I want to throw one more point in South Carolina's favor. I think Xavier Leggett's a better receiver than Jermaine Burton, and we saw what he did when Alabama came in there. And that's not to say anything about what Bama put on defense, which is clearly much better than what South Carolina's going to do. 
But I'm just saying, do you think that, you know, Xavier Leggett's going to be able to come out here and dominate Josh DeBerry again? Because that feels like that's a matchup that I hate if I'm an AM fan. Um, and, and look, Spencer Rattler, for all of his flaws, he's still got a pretty good arm and he can get it there. So if all that they do is decide we're throwing the Leggett all day, we could have another, you know, game of your life situation for Xavier Leggett uh, against what is a not so good uh, secondary for Texas A&M. Would be brutal. That would be tough to watch. Uh, let's go to a Big 12 shootout. We go from a, a game that should hit the under to a game that probably should hit the over. Oklahoma at Kansas. Trey, Oklahoma nearly lost last week. You weren't on the show, but we uh, we reacted to that just a little bit. Probably could have talked about it more, but it was a botched two-point conversion from UCF. They gave the ball to their fourth-string wide receiver, I believe, uh, trying to convert the game-tying two-point conversion when they had a backup running back who's a converted quarterback on the roster. Anyway, uh, play calling aside, an 11 a.m. kick, Kansas is going to be rocking. Is this a one-off for Oklahoma, or can Kansas capitalize on maybe a perceived weakness? I, we Garrett, you always say that you give everybody one, right? You give the true contenders one uh oh game to get everything out of their system. And I, for Oklahoma, I think that's truly last week because, you know, credit UCF, they came in with a great game plan. They attacked early, they got a big lead, and then Oklahoma came storming back. But that was a big wake up call for Oklahoma. And this is really, you know, the next two weeks, they got to be circling those two on the road to Kansas, and then on the road in Bedlam against Oklahoma State. After that, it's pretty much smooth sailing until the college, until the Big 12 championship and a likely rematch with Texas. So they're going to be up for this one. I don't trust Kansas's defense to stop the Oklahoma offense. I, I Kansas is so fun. And Kansas is going to go to a really good bowl game this year. They're going to be a fun story. We don't know if Jaden Daniels is going to play either, so that's, that's another big um, question mark here. But I just don't trust their defense to keep this, keep Oklahoma off the scoreboard. And it's an electric offense for Oklahoma paired with a much, much better defense. So I think they're going to win this one pretty comfortably. It might be an entertaining first half. Kansas is going to put up a lot of points, but um, I think Oklahoma ultimately wins this one going away. Yeah, Trey, you're absolutely right. It's, it's Oklahoma's one. They got their oopsie out the way and they get to, you know, they get to kind of move on from that. And, you know, kind of to that point, Everything that, you know, Trey, you've been talking about Neil Brown syndrome, everything that Neil Brown syndrome is, Gus Malzahn syndrome is even more. I'm just going to put that out there. Gus does some weird stuff, and that's ultimately what cost him the game last week. But let's not pretend like without Gus, you're not probably in that game to begin with. So that's kind of all I have to say about last week. Um, But to that point, I, I do think that Kansas is a good offense. I think that Kansas can really run the football. I just don't think they can keep up. And I think as long as Oklahoma, you know, clean some stuff up and they got back in the film room and they found their weaknesses, they found that they need to fix. I think they'll be right back on track. If they don't, then it's time to start talking about the wheels maybe coming off of Norman and, you know, what happens when it gets time for Bedlam. And, you know, if they can't stop the Kansas running attack, they're not going to stop Ollie Gordon. That's that's fair. Uh, Oklahoma only 10 point favorites on the road in this game, but I'm going to take Oklahoma better defense. I think an offense that's more composed when they fully get operational. So I'll roll with the Sooners and the big 12 favorites uh, at this point. Guys, could we see a fourth loss for Clemson before we get to November? They're 10 point favorites, but they're on the road. 
in Raleigh to take on NC State. They have been relegated to the CW, guys. And uh, if we learned anything, upsets happen on the CW after Virginia knocked off North Carolina last week. So a really disappointing, depressing loss for Clemson a week ago. Where do y'all sit on the Tigers? Uh, Their offense, defense, the whole package. They seem broken, right? They seem like... They've kind of lost the mojo. They don't have a generational quarterback talent. Cade Klubnik could grow into something really nice, but they just don't have a generational quarterback talent, and that seems like the magic that Dabo had, that in an elite pass rush on the defensive line. So, I mean, the answer is yes. They very well could lose this game. NC State hasn't been anything special on offense so, this year. For, offense for, is broken. Yeah, and so I, I don't know that they, you know, should be favored by any stretch of the imagination. But what about Clemson this year has said that they should be favored by 10 on the road against anybody? No. Yeah. Nothing. Not literally nothing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we talked about it. This has been a disappointing season for them, but what's worse, I think is that their coach has the wrong attitude, right? I hate what Dabo came out and said, and need to lighten the bandwagon. All like that's going to stick with me probably the rest of the season. And that his sports psychologist is on suicide watch. (laughs) Oh my God. What What was that? So, like, look, at NC State, NC State, uh, I had thought initially this was a bigger spot for an upset. Then I looked up some of their stats, and I'm I'm not as convinced. They don't play very good offense, and they're not that good. But could this be closer for comfort? And then that becomes a validating thing for Dabo. He's like, see, we survived against a good team. And then he gets to go and tell everybody he thinks that he's awesome. Well, if you're looking ahead, things could get rough. You got Notre Dame. That's your next game. You got Georgia Tech, you got North Carolina, and then you got South Carolina. I could see a couple more losses on this schedule. I I don't think it comes this week, but Notre Dame's probably going to beat them. And I think North Carolina's probably going to beat them too. Clemson is staring down the barrel of a 7-5 and season. Like legitimately, that that is probably more realistic than any other. At best. At best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll take Clemson to win this, but a, a, I don't know about elite defense, a good defense at home. And listen, uh, I bet against Clemson last week. I said Miami would keep it close because of their defense. Um, I didn't pick Miami outright by any stretch, but I was right there. I'm going to roll with the defense too. NC State's offense stinks, but they don't have to score that many points, I don't think, to cover this, to keep it at least uncomfortable for Clemson on the road. It's a weird time um, to, to play that game. The, the country seems like they're kind of out on Clemson. I don't know what the vibe is in that locker room, but um, I just don't feel like Dabo is winning many friends with how he's talking right now. So, you know, big statement week for, for Clemson. Can they respond? Uh, I guess we'll see. Biggest game in the ACC, though, is number 20 Duke at number 18 Louisville. Louisville looked like they were set to take over the ACC and and maybe march to a college football playoff. Be this year's TCU. The graphics were made. Heck, my t-shirts might have been printed in their honor. And and then they went and the wheels fell off the very next week. Uh can Duke though hold for four quarters against what has been a very very solid offense? Trey, let's start with you. I mean, to me, I know you're asking about defense, but to me, it depends on if Riley Leonard's playing and if the offense can hold the ball because the defense, they're really good at playing complimentary football. That defense is at its best when the offense is humming and can control the ball. 
And we've seen a lot of problems when Riley Leonard hasn't been in there. That's kind of when the wheels fall off on both sides of the football. So to me, that's the biggest question. I trust Mike Elko still. Um, I trust him to, I know he lost to uh, his cover late, but when you saw the game plan coming out of the gate last week, it, it was great, right? They caught Florida state napping to start the game. And I, I, I think this is still a good football team. I know they've stubbed their toe a couple of times with Riley Leonard can play. They can definitely beat Louisville and, you know, be right back in position to go to the ACC title game. Yeah, I think you're right, Trey. I think that this is dependent on Riley Leonard in terms of it being close versus not. I think if Riley Leonard plays, I don't think this is that competitive because Duke's defense is that overwhelming. Um, we, we've seen what they've done against really, really good offenses up until they don't, right? And that's the point with the Florida State game is they were doing awesome things. They had them down to like 17 points in the third quarter. And then once Riley Leonard goes down, they can't move the ball. Then they get gassed, and then there's the problem, right? So if if Riley Leonard's playing, if they can hold the ball, go up and down the field, then I think the defense is going to have no issues getting after the quarterback and doing what they need to do against Louisville. If he doesn't play, then you really have to ask, you know, how prepared is the backup? You know, how how well will the backup play? He's been fine. I don't think he's been electric. I don't think he's been, you know, good enough to to keep Duke in ACC title contention. But I think with a little bit of preparation plus that defense, I think they can do what they need to do. So uh, I'd pick Duke in this one for sure, um, just based on what their defense is going to do alone. I feel like with Riley Leonard, Duke can win this game. Without him, Louisville might do what Florida State did last week, right? And and run away in the fourth quarter, boat race him late because that defense is just on the field too much. Both teams are alive in the ACC championship race. Clemson's failure, Miami's inconsistency, UNC's absurd loss to Virginia last week. So there's a lot to play for here, right? Both teams have it all on the line still. Cards are four-point uh, four favorites at home without knowing if Riley Leonard is healthy. And he did obviously not look healthy. Uh, those last couple of plays looked like he got the ankle rolled up on again. I'm going to go with Louisville just because I don't know if Riley Leonard is truly going to be in there for all the snaps offensively. I think Louisville has the chance to run away uh, if Duke can't keep the offense on the field. Let's go to the MAC. And guys, this is kind of the de facto MAC East championship week, I should say. And it's, it's really unfortunate because, Garrett, you and I were standing at the back of of a function last week. We had our eyes on Toledo, Miami of Ohio for a little bit there. And then Brett Gabbert got hurt. And whatever comeback uh, the Red Hawks were trying to mount after being down 17-3 to at the half, it all kind of went out the window. Avian Smith comes in, fumbles it away. Late, Toledo wins that game. The Red Hawks have a chance to redeem themselves this week, and many have the Red Hawks as the second-best team in the MAC, but... Without Gabbert in, Ohio really has a chance to have that defense step up and make a statement at home. Yeah, that defense is really good for Ohio, and I think that's really where the problem comes for Miami. Is you know if you're if you're a Miami fan, gosh, you wish that Gabbert was playing this game, right? They they had things rolling, things were actually looking pretty good on that offense, but he's not your option, and so now it turns to Avion Smith, and you have to ask yourself, what can he really give you? He hasn't been that good this year. Um, in, in limited roles, obviously limited spots because he's only coming in for injury, but he hasn't really looked that good. 
you're hoping that he gets the full week of practice and feels good. You know, we made the case earlier. I made the case at least that I think Malik Murphy for Texas coming in with a full week of practice will will look a lot better than he did last week. Don't know that you can say the same about Smith because I just don't think that the staff is where it needs to be to to do you know all that stuff that that Stark and this company is doing on there at Texas. So it hurts me, but I think I'm picking Ohio in this game. Um, I want to go with the Red Hawks. It's been such a fun story, but I, I think I'm picking Ohio just based on how awesome that defense is and what they're going to be able to do. Yeah, I'm taking Ohio too. Curtis Roy, still a good quarterback, uh, still probably the best yeah. G5 quarterback in the country, arguably. And uh, that they're undefeated at home this year. They've really protected home field well, so I'm going to stick with Ohio. Yep, Bobcats are winning this game. Uh, man, if only Roar could stay healthy against San Diego State. What what looks like a bad San Diego mm-hmm. State team now. Uh, Brady Hoke might get be getting fired out there in San Diego. But yeah, Ohio's going to win this game. I, I, I truly believe that. Over-under for this game is only 39. So Vegas expecting a very low-scoring game. Maybe that keeps the Red Hawks in it. Uh, but uh, Ohio's not going to let them cross the goal line all that many times. Another G5 game with a ton of uh, American Conference championship on the line uh, on Saturday afternoon. Tulane going to Rice. Trey, we got to beware of the Owls, man. That offense has been a whole lot of fun. Number 22, Tulane goes in. They're 3-0 in the conference. They're looking to roll to another AAC championship game, maybe against SMU. They're 10.5-point favorites. But you've got an elite offense at home against an elite defense that's traveling on the road. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun one uh, in Houston. Like you said, Rice is a legit good offense. That JT Daniels to Luke McCaffrey connection is electric. They just blitzed Tulsa the other night. I think they were a dog in that game, if I'm remembering right. I think they were a three-point dog and ended up winning that game by like 50, like put up 55 points on the road in a really impressive showing rice is legit. And this is going to be a good test for Tulane. Um, I think they Tulane ultimately wins it and probably covers as well, but rice is nothing to be toyed with. Yeah. I'm going to pick Tulane to cover this one. Um, I, I think that there's just, you know, you take the experienced quarterback of Michael Pratt, you take what he's able to do on the road with a good defense and with a run game that's starting to pick up a little bit too. You know, you got Makai Hughes, he's providing a lot. So I'm, I'm just thinking, this is probably just a spot where the experience wins out. That's not to take away anything from what Rice is doing. It's a fun offense. Uh, I just don't think that they're good enough on defense to keep Tulane from scoring. And I think that Tulane's defense travels well uh, and, and takes things, you know, keeps the wave rolling for Tulane. That final score at Tulsa was 42-10. Not quite 55, okay. but, but similar sentiment. Um, they put up a lot of points this year, regardless. <laughs> they they did. They did. And Tulsa's known normally for having a good defense. Now the Golden Hurricane is is down bad this season, but uh still an impressive win on the road. They just have one loss at home. It was a surprising loss to UConn 38-31. The defense for Rice, I think, is is the one thing that doesn't belong at the rest of the at the table with the rest of the uh the equations. I think Tulane does cover this one late. I think Michael Pratt's able to do enough to pull away. But the first half could be really spicy, and uh, and I'm absolutely here for that. Out to the West Coast, USC at California. Guys, Lincoln Riley is sick this week. He's missed two straight days of practice. He conveniently didn't have to uh, to touch his Trojan Live radio spot 
after getting embarrassed at, uh, against Utah. Uh, Cal's defense sucks. They're 110th in scoring defense, but the offense has been much better this season than any of us thought. Trojans are 11-point favorites. They're on a two-game losing streak. I think we're all going to say that losing streak stops this week, right? But the real question is, do they cover? I think they do. I think their offense is going to be too powerful for Cal. And Cal could put up a lot of points in this game, but I think the talent disparity is just a little bit too much. The coaching disparity is just a little too much, ironically, um, with Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley is still an offensive savant, even if, if he coaches pretty relatively soft teams. So I I think they cover this week relatively easily and kind of get back on track, but still well below the standard that they thought they were getting with Lincoln Riley. Right, and I don't think that they do end up covering this one. I'm going to actually take Cal to cover. I don't think they win, obviously. I'm not going to say this is three in a row, you know, suck at USC, you're, you're dumb now, right? We're not doing that. But this is a running team for Cal. This is a team that can really run the football well, and, and when you can run the football well, you can control the clock. And I think that's what they're going to try to do. I think they're going to say, just give me the ball. Let's kind of sit on it, smother it. You know, if you want to go and score in three plays, that's great, but we're going to put your – bad defense right back on the field and we're going to go score again and on a slow drive and we're going to hold it and we're going to give you long fields and we're going to get you out of your rhythm on offense and and i think they're just going to do that enough to keep this one close auburn beat cal on the road by taking away the running game usc i don't believe has the ability to do that so i'm going to roll the dice i'm going to say cal covers this uh it's one of those ugly high scoring games that you know, USC should have locked up by the middle of the third quarter, and instead they don't. I think this is maybe a 10-point win for the Trojans. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to say Cal covers this. And unless I'm mistaken about this, isn't Bear sitting out the first half of this one? He is. Is that late targeting? That's your best defensive lineman that, you know, ideally he's the one stopping and plugging the run up front. Uh, Try again, at least for the first half. So, you know, maybe he makes a difference at the second half, holds him down. But I think, I mean – is it unreasonable to say we could be talking about a tie game at, at the half? I don't think that's unreasonable. No, no. I mean, USC has struggled with just about, well, I say just about everybody. They've had moments where it's like, man, they could straight up lose this game. Arizona State gave them all kinds of trouble early, right? Now, they gave Washington trouble last week, too. That was an ugly game. Uh, we're not clowning on Washington, in all fairness. Uh, but no, USC has not been an impressive team this year certainly not on the defensive side of the ball uh let's go to a battle of what i've termed imposter syndrome teams number 21 tennessee their four point favorites on the road at kroger field taking on the kentucky wildcats i don't know what to make of either of these teams uh these these two teams have moments of brilliance they have moments of like oh my gosh how have how are you going to reach a bowl game um in a potentially back and forth game where both teams want to run the football and, and control you on the ground, which way are you leaning? I am leaning tentatively to Tennessee just because they seem to have the recipe to beat Kentucky relatively consistency, consistently. And I, I think Talon is ultimately going to win out. I just really haven't been impressed with Devin Leary and the offense. I don't trust them in a situation. I, I think if they try to pass, that Devin Leary is going to be on his butt quite a bit with the Kentucky offensive line and the Tennessee pass rush. So, I'm going to lean Tennessee in a really ugly, low-scoring game, but you're right. Kentucky has been a different animal at home, and if they show out like they did against Florida, it could be a long day for the Volunteers. 
I feel pretty confident that Tennessee is going to win this one, mostly just because I think they're pissed. And I think that they're going to go and say, well, you know, we really shouldn't have lost that game. You know, well, you know, we actually played pretty well, but we made a couple of mistakes. I can't believe it. And I think they're going to come back out focused. They're going to use all that anchor energy to kind of harness something better. Uh, and I think that they're going to come out and and play like an angry team with their hair on fire. And I think they end up getting the dubs, not comfortably, but but by more than four. Is the real like weird team here Florida because both of the anomaly games for these teams have come against Florida. Like the good anomaly was Kentucky destroying them and the bad anomaly for Tennessee was just getting raced by uh, Florida. It's it's a strange common denominator, that's for sure. I Kentucky's so hard to predict late in the season because this is what they do every year. They they get out to a solid, well, I say every year, under Mark Stoops. They typically get out to a good start. Folks start to buy in. Folks start to say he's got the best job in college football, and then the losses start to come, and everyone forgets about Kentucky. Nobody wants to watch Kentucky because, let's be honest, Kentucky football is not sexy. Um, Tennessee is pissed. Garrett, you were right. That, that loss last week was inexcusable. Uh, to me, that is a serious gut-check moment. For Josh Heupel, you guys were popping champagne at the half. Alabama signed up for 60, and you guys were celebrating a victory at the halfway point. You came out and got taken to the woodshed in the second half. If Tennessee doesn't respond and beat Kentucky this week, um, then I'm certainly out on them as any sort of relevant contender. And we talked about that on the postgame show. I just think it, it shows me they're closer to two years away than I think a lot of people originally thought. Sunbelt, let's go back to it here in the Lone Star State. Troy, five and a half point favorites on the road at Texas State. This is a battle for the top teams in the Sunbelt West. Garrett, you and I and, and Trey, all three of us, have been big fans of the Troy defense this season. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just defense in this one. That's why I'm going to pick Troy to cover this one. Look, I love Texas State and what they're doing. I think it's a lot of fun, but good defense travels, and especially what they're able to do on the in the run game. They're only giving up 97 yards a game, um, and, and a lot of that comes from the early matchup that they they just they weren't they, they just got outclassed. And, and so you look at the last couple, you know you you know hold Army to zero, right? It, it's it's just a much better Troy defense right now, playing really well this time of season. I don't think that fits for Texas State. I don't think that fits with what they're trying to do. Um, and you know, I, I think that this is going to be Troy at minus five and a half and, and, you know, this is a Trojan defense that can play defense. So good for you, Troy. I'm going to take Texas state to cover in this one. I don't know if they went out right, but they are, they really don't like playing, uh, wide margin games. They love playing close games and they've won a lot of those close games. They lost a close one to Louisiana, I'm going to take them to cover this one at home. I think the offense is going to give Troy's defense a lot of problems. And if they get out to a hot start and have a good game plan, Troy's offense might not be able to keep up. That's very true. That is the wild card factor in this game. Uh, I'm going to take Texas State to cover as well. I Listen, Troy's only allowed 26 points in three conference games this season. They're on a four-game winning streak. A lot of momentum on the Troy Trojans' side. And yet I believe in what G.J. Kinney is doing down there at Texas State. Trey, you're, you're exactly right. Texas State plays a lot of really close games. I still lean Troy winning this game, but would it shock you if it was a three-point loss um, or a three-point game either way? I don't think so. So I'm going to go with Texas State plus the points to cover this. 
Uh, in the ledger, Trey, you were really disappointed about this game. I think America is disappointed about this game. Number three, Ohio State is 14 and a half point favorites against Wisconsin. Guys, I don't even think the shadow realm can save Wisconsin in this game. They've lost Tanner Mordecai. The dairy raid is broken. Um, and Kyle McCord is going to pass for over 2,000 yards in this game, or 2,000 yards total on the season. He will pass that mark in this game. I, I don't I don't see a path in which uh, Braylon Allen, that Wisconsin offense, generate enough points to cover. Yeah, it, it doesn't eliminate them from Big Ten West contention, but as we've seen time and time again, the East is just a completely different animal. When these top three teams fly, uh, go over to the other side of the division, they usually do very, very well, uh, regardless of who they're playing. So it pains me to say because I was really circling this game preseason. I thought Wisconsin had a great chance in the preseason, but I am off that bandwagon this week. I think Ohio State excuse me, covers relatively easily. Yeah, I was going to say, dang, Mitch, 2,000 in this game. That's pretty good for McCord. I apologize. Um, he's going to pass for a lot. I think I'm really impressed with what McCord's been able to do, uh, obviously coming off a big win, um, and I think that that's going to be some momentum to carry over. Hopefully they're starting to get in a rhythm there with uh, what Marvin Harrison Jr. is doing, and, and you know, hopefully they can really put something good together here. I think it's going to keep rolling against Wisconsin. I'm going to pick Ohio State minus 14 and a half. Braylon Allen has over 700 yards on the ground, only 120 carries. They were splitting it with uh, Ches Malusi earlier in the season. Malusi's done for the year, but eight touchdowns for Braylon Allen. If Wisconsin has a chance, it's doing it on the ground, not through the air. The issue, Ohio State is only allowing just a tick over 100 yards per game this season. The Buckeye defense has looked elite all year long. Uh, I think that continues here. Road game or not, I think the Buckeyes do end up covering. Last two games, out on the West Coast, we've got number 11, Oregon State, three-and-a-half-point favorites against Arizona. Guys, defense travels, but things get weird at Tucson at night. I have Arizona outright in this I one. I do, too. I think, I think I it's going to be really weird in Tucson. I love Oregon State. I think they're a fantastic team. Take nothing away from them. They still have a great chance to win a lot of games and cause a lot of problems for uh, the rest of the old Pac-12 North. But I think Arizona can win this game outright. And if they can, guys, question for you. Who wins the season with a better record, Arizona or USC? Because if you take a look at the future schedules, if Arizona can win this week, and it's a really close spread, like three and a half is way closer than I thought it would be. It's UCLA at home, at Colorado, Utah at home, at Arizona State to close out. Um, USC's last three games, if they, uh, they have Cal this week after that, it's Oregon, Washington, UCLA. So Arizona could finish with a better Washington, Oregon, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, UCLA. Thank you. Arizona could finish with a better record than USC if they can find a way to win this week. Dude, Jed fish, man. I mean, give it up for the guy. Like that program was that, that program was legally declared dead, right? Someone murdered that, uh, murdered that program. Time of death had been pronounced, and Jed Fish came in and said, we're going to do it. He rolled up his sleeves. He's recruited his heart out. Offense has been good. They were last seen curb-stomping Washington State 44-6. to Had a bye week last week. Even with Jaden DeLora out until the USC game, uh, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, even with Jaden DeLora out, uh, Noah Fafita has come in, and, and he's been really, really solid. 800 yards plus in three games, eight touchdowns, but it's the defense that's been really, really solid. That's why I'm picking Arizona to win. 
I know Oregon State plays good defense. DJU has, has played well this season, but a good defense at home in a place where it gets weird, I'll take the Bearcats outright. Man, say some of that Wildcat love for me, man. I'm tripling up on the Wildcats in this one, all right? This is this is a good matchup for them. I think this is going to work out really well. I love the wide receivers for Arizona, Tatro McMillan, Jacob Cowing, a couple of really good wide receivers. I just think this is a really good matchup for them. And, uh, you know, Trey, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm rooting for the Arizona finishing with a better record than USC just because you said it, and it's a possibility. How, how amazing would that be? I also just want to point out that since we all three picked them to win, uh, Oregon State's going to win by 30. Now. Clearly, so yeah. Just, yeah. Prepare yourself for that. Oh, thanks, Garrett. We, we had a good thing going. All right, <laughs> fine, whatever. Never mind. <laughs> Last game, and it has massive Mountain West championship game implications. You've got Fresno State against UNLV seven and a half point favorites are the Bulldogs. Uh, UNLV is undefeated in conference. So they're still alive. Even with the loss, it would be difficult, but they technically are alive. Fresno cannot afford a loss here. They're two and one uh, after a loss to Wyoming. For me, the story here is what UNLV has been able to do. They hadn't been bowl eligible since 2013. They're six and one Barry Odom's first head coaching tenure could not be going any better. And guys, Remember, offensive coordinator that was pledged to UNLV left after just a couple weeks. Brendan Marion comes in, says it doesn't matter. We got this. Offense is humming for UNLV right now. Yeah, freshman quarterback Jaden Mayava, really, really fun team out west. A lot of people haven't seen other than maybe when they played Michigan and were just completely overmatched. But, yeah, really, really fun team out west that is uh, – has a lot of fireworks. I was surprised that Fresno State was a seven-point favorite in this game. I think these two teams are pretty high. even. I think they're pretty evenly matched. I'm going to take UNLV to cover. I don't know if they win on the road, but I think they're going to cover. Yeah, I'm taking the cover, too. I think what you said is right. They score enough points. They're going to you know, keep it high-flying on offense, and this could be kind of a shootout situation where it's just trading scores, and then the last team that holds the ball wins it, which means you're not going to win by seven and a half. I'm with you. I'm going to take UNLV plus the points here. Um, I, I love Mikey Keene. Uh, I, I love what uh, what this Fresno State team has done, but UNLV seems like they're on one right now. And uh, to get the, the running Rebs closer to a Mountain West championship game, I'm all for it. So let's go with UNLV. That'll do it for our Week 9 preview. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Please let us know what your top takes of the week are, what your favorite matchup is. You can hit us up on Twitter x whatever it's called now instagram uh obviously in the youtube comments as well at three tech pod we'd love to hear from you of course our live show uh, typically goes live on saturday nights you may have to pay attention to the twitter feed uh, we're all texas ranger fans we may definitely be postponing that live show until sunday which is an off day after game two so again just keep keep it posted to the social feeds uh, and we will talk to you when we talk to you for that live show. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Until next time, so long, everybody. Gracious, yeah. how about that?